preached here before, but a lot has changed. Y'all have grown. God has done an incredible work here in Blythewood at Village Church. Now, Eric probably didn't mention this to you because he probably doesn't want to talk about many of his friends, me included. But I used to pastor not too far from here in a town called Elgin. Anybody from Elgin in the room? Represent, right? And I, I pastored a church called Oak Hill Community Church. And it was a newer church. And uh, I started back in the year 2000. And I knew Eric in seminary. Um, but it had been a while. We had kind of lost connection. But uh, he realized that I was an Elgin. And he was praying about starting a church in the Blythewood community. So we went out to lunch one day, and I want you to know, I did my very best to talk Eric out of it. I mean, I just said, look, it's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to start a church. But uh, he heard from the Lord, and he began Village Church, and God has poured out his blessings upon you. Now, I don't know how many of you are Twitter fans, but I put something um, very sincere and very truthful on my Twitter feed last night when I said I was excited about going to Village Church and, and preach for my friend Eric Estep, one of the best men that I know. And I mean that. I mean that. I talked to him this morning. He called me. Um, I tried to act like I was yawning. I was still in bed, you know, give him a heart attack because I'm from the upstate. I'm from Greenville and it's a two hour drive. And uh, but uh, he was just checking on me, um, praying for me, praying for each one of you. And really excited. Let me tell you how God works. Okay? There are 66 books in the Bible. You probably know that, right? 66 books in the Bible. And I could, Eric said I could preach whatever I want to preach. Well, earlier this week, I decided to preach from Proverbs chapter 8. So I look on your website and I realize that y'all are in a series of Proverbs. Is that awesome or what? I mean, so, you know, you think we just kind of make these things up. We don't. Listen, God's at work, so God knew what, I wanted to, what he wanted me to preach. So if you do have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 8 as we continue our series, I guess I can say, from Proverbs, getting wisdom from God. Proverbs chapter 8. Maybe you got your digital device. You can uh, find Proverbs 8 there on your phone. Proverbs chapter 8. I'll be preaching from the New International Bible. I'm excited about all the books of the Bible, but Proverbs 8 and the book of Proverbs have been very special to me. I don't know about you, but personally, I need wisdom like all of the time. Every day, I'm in search of wisdom. I know this is hard for you to believe, but I'm just like you. I make a lot of goofy decisions. I make a lot of dumb mistakes. There is practical, personal wisdom in Proverbs. And I don't know what's going on in your life today, but probably some way, somehow, you can apply Proverbs. And I want to tell you this, it is more current, the book of Proverbs, than today's newspaper. I promise you. The book of Proverbs is for today, and personally, you can use it. But I'll tell you this, probably a, a church like the size, a big church like Village Church, and you are, you, you need wisdom as a church. I, I think that's one of the benefits of studying the book of Proverbs, a sermon series. Because I'm sure, and I don't know how, but you, you as a church need wisdom. You want to reach this community for Christ. You want to reach more children. You want to reach more students, more families, more adults. This place needs a church like Village Church. And you need to lean on God's wisdom to be the church that God wants you to be. So I, 
I'm sure that God can use this series in your life as a church. But honestly, think about it as a nation. Do you think we need the wisdom of God in this nation today? Do you realize it's been 40 days since the shooting in our state in Charleston? 40 days. And I don't want to overestimate this. Me and my friend Brad, who, who traveled with me from the church I'm from, Taylor's First Baptist, we were talking about this on the way down, that I, I, I don't know of another 40-day period where we've seen more changes in our country. Not since I've been alive, anyway. I mean, you think about it. Terrible tragedy in Charleston, which proves that, yes, racism is still alive. It, it is. Racism is alive. 40 days since then. Then what else has changed? Well, just a couple weeks after the shooting, the Supreme Court came down with their redefining of marriage. The first institute that God put in place was in the Garden of Eden, and it was marriage. One man, one woman for life. Reaffirmed by Jesus Christ himself when asked about marriage. One man, one woman for life. The Supreme Court redefines it. It's just the day we're in. It's just, it's just true. And then, of course, we've had a couple other terrible shooting travesties, even this week, right? We know we're in a very violent, violent land. You, you, you think about all the different changes, even the, uh, the, we're reminded two weeks ago, the abortion industry, Planned Parenthood, the, world, the nation's largest abortion provider. That, and I'm, I'm sorry to be too graphic, but you already know the news. You read about it. You see it on CNN, but um, they are a not only aborting babies, but they're taking their parts of these dear children and selling them for profit. I mean, think about what's going on in our nation. We, we need wisdom. And I, we need God's wisdom. Politics will not solve it. If politics was going to solve it, we'd already figured that out a long time ago. We need God to do a work everywhere. So personally, as a church, as a nation, our world, we need wisdom. We've got to have it. So my expectation today is that God sovereignly has asked me to leave Greenville County, come down here to continue the book of Proverbs so that we might personally and as a church, as a national nation, seek the heart of God, the wisdom of God. And I honestly believe that individually God has something for you out of his word today. I don't preach to congregations. I preach to people. And I really believe each one of you individually, God has something to say. That's my great expectation. I believe God's got something for you. All right, so I'm going to define Proverbs. Now, i got a feeling maybe Eric or one of the other staff members that might have preached, they might have defined it, but allow me a little latitude to define wisdom as I study, I've studied the book of Proverbs recently. And I'm going to do it two ways. The first way is an easy one. It's two words, okay? Two words. And it is truth applied. Wisdom is truth applied. Now you think about those two words. You've got truth. And I believe that, as the scripture teaches, that all of truth is God's truth. Okay? That, that's truth. Whatever God says is true is true. That, that, that's part of it. That's part of wisdom. You've got to have the truth. And in a world today that says there is no absolute truth, I want to tell you that as long as there's a God, there is absolute truth. We've got to find the truth. But that's not wisdom. Truth is not wisdom. Once we learn the truth, once we perceive the truth, we act on it. 
truth applied. We apply the truth. If, if, if that way, you take just what is informational and you make it transformational. See, that's where we get bogged down. We think we know a lot of things. We might even know a lot of Bible verses. But if we don't apply the truth, then we have not moved from what is informational to what is transformational. And if you want to see God work in your life, it's got to be transforming. All right, so that's one definition. I like that definition. But let me give you the Proverbs definition of wisdom. And it's Proverbs 1-7. Proverbs 1-7 says that wisdom is the fear of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. So I define wisdom also as saying the fear of God. Now, don't you think about it. If there's a God, and there is, and I don't say there is, Proverbs says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's Proverbs. Okay? So, according to Proverbs, there's a God. Don't you think about it. If this God is omnipresent, and he's omniscient, and he's omnipotent, then that changes everything. That changes everything. If God is omnipresent, that means he is everywhere. There's nowhere you and I can go today that God is not there. That means God is everywhere. That's a game changer, okay? If he's omniscient, that means God is all-knowing. Omniscience means God is all-knowing. If he's all-knowing, he knows everything. That's a game changer, all right? And if he's omnipowerful, okay? I mean, if he is um, omnipotent, which means all-powerful, then he could do anything. And that's a game changer. And so when I think about wisdom, and you think about wisdom, you're talking about a God that is all-knowing, and he's all-powerful, and he is everywhere. There is nothing bigger than that. Nothing is bigger than that knowledge. And that, my friends, is the beginning of wisdom. Because if that's true, then knowing him is the most important thing you will ever, ever do. We've got to pay attention. We've got to pay attention. Jesus put it this way about fear. Because I know we talk about fear and you say, well, I don't like that word fear. There's a lot of other happy words that I like better than fear. But fear is not always bad. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said in Luke 12, 4 and 5, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you shall fear. Fear him who, after your body's been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Okay? Now, the preacher didn't say that. That's Jesus Christ. That's the red letters in your Bible. That's real important. And he says, there's something we should fear. What do we fear? We fear God. In this way, fearing God is a wise move. And we know that. It's not bad to fear things. It's, it's not always bad. You know, when I was in middle school, and I know we got some middle school students in here. When I was in middle school, I realized that there were things to fear, you know. I mean, if you're in middle school, there's something you're scared of. Some things you probably ought to be scared of. Well, I remember first day of middle school, I went to my third period class, and it was shop class. Does anybody remember going to shop class? Do they still? They're getting rid of shop class, by the way. All right? No, there's not as many shop classes. But I went to shop class, and 
I didn't grow up around a lot of uh, machinery and this kind of thing. I, I just, my dad, I didn't know the difference between saws. I mean, I'd heard of circular saw and table saws and jigsaws. I thought jigsaw was a puzzle. I, I didn't know much about saws. And I was scared of saws. You know, I just didn't know much about it. going to shop class. And, you know, you can smell all, you know, all these different kind of smells. You know, the sawdust smell. And you, the, these machines make a lot of noise. I mean, it's real loud in shop class. And you go in there. And, and I sit down around one of these tables on the front row. And I, I'm a little discombobulated. I don't mind telling you. But then something happened that I'll never forget. My shop teacher came in. You say, why, why would you forget that? Well, I, I don't really remember exactly what he looked like. I don't remember how tall he was. I don't remember what age man he was, but there's one thing that I noticed right away. I, I noticed his hands. And you might think, well, they probably had a lot of calluses because he worked with his hands and whatnot. No, that's not what I noticed. I looked at his hands and I, I noticed that he was missing some fingers. Am I right? I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm, I'm, you can't help but notice you're in middle school. I mean, he's missing some digits. And I just did He's averaging about three and a half fingers per hand. I mean, and I'm, I'm already scared. I'm in the front row, and he's talking to us, and I'm like, man, I'm getting out of here. As soon as I get out of here, I'm dropping this class. I'm going to take me some home economics, you know. I'm going I'm to take my chances with the sewing machine. I mean, that's how I'm going to roll. I just can't wait to get out of there. And he says, now listen. He begins to talk, and I couldn't, I couldn't escape. And he said, listen, boys. I want all of you to listen to what I'm about to say. And I'm kind of dialed in to what he's going to say next. And he says, and, he, and I'll never forget, and he, he, picked, and he takes his hand and he takes that nub of a finger and he shakes it at us and he says, you want to be careful around here. <laughs> you want to be careful around here. I'm like, hey man, you had me at hello. I mean, I'm all ears. Listen, I am, I am dialed in what he is telling me to say. I was scared. I had fear. Look. Fear's not always bad. Let me tell you, the most important thing, if we're going to have wisdom, then we must fear Him. We must fear God. That's what He says. The beginning of wisdom is to fear Him. Now you say, well, I still don't like the word fear. Well, I'm telling you, if you fear God, you, there's nothing else really you need to fear. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he says it this way. The fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all the fears before it. See, you walk in today and there's something you're afraid of. Something at work, something in your marriage, something with your family, money, whatever it is. If you fear God like a mighty lion, he chases all the other fears away. That's good news. That's wisdom. Fear God. Don't fear anything else. In this way, wisdom is not just, you know, well, i got to have some wisdom because I can dial my life in and things will be better at work and things will be better at home, whatever, whatever. No, it's much greater than that. It's much greater than that because there's so much more at stake than just that. All right? So we're going to look at chapter 8. In chapter 8, I call this sermon Wisdom Personified because it takes on a personal characteristics. In essence, wisdom is talking to you in Proverbs 8. I mean, literally taking on a persona and talking to you. And it's calling out, and you see um, the first personal pronoun, a female, she. Wisdom is a she. 
in Proverbs 8. And the she is juxtaposed to the she in chapter 7, which is the woman of adultery that's calling out, trying to entice people to come to her, to throw their, their lives away for the sake of one moment's pleasure. So chapter 7 is the woman of adultery. Chapter 8 is the woman of wisdom, the voice of wisdom, wisdom personified. And it's good news. And as I read verses 1 through 9, you're going to see this good news begin, and it's going to get better and better and better. Verse 1, verse 1 of chapter 8 says this, Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gates leading into the city. At the entrances, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. I got three points. You just like any other preacher, you might want to jot them down, but I'm going to see, I want you to see that the words I say will be right out of the text. It's, this is about wisdom. And if we're going to have wisdom of God, you need to understand that it is available and it's pursuing you. That's point one. The wisdom of God is available and, this is good news, pursuing you. It's pursuing you. And in verses one through nine, and I love it, it, it talks about wisdom like, Wisdom is on the heights, and wisdom is by the paths, and wisdom is beside the gates. Wisdom is plentiful. I think a lot of people think, well, I'll never have wisdom, you know, because I didn't go to school long enough, you know, and I've forgotten half the stuff I ever knew anyway, and I've done too many bad things, and I'm never going to get to where I can get wisdom. Look, wisdom is plentiful. It doesn't matter the sins that you committed. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what age you made it in school, wisdom is available and it's pursuing you. It's pursuing you. It's calling out to you. It's begging you. It's pleading you. This is great news. Wisdom shouts out. I think it's good news to understand that God is not playing hide and seek with his wisdom. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not messing with you. It's not a shell game for God, you know? It's not. He wants you to have his wisdom, and he's beckoning you, even now, in this room, in this message, calling out to you, get me, get wisdom. It's not too late. God doesn't do karma. It's not, well, you've, done, you've had a bad week, you can't have wisdom. No, you can have wisdom today. You have wisdom. So it's available. He's pursuing you. One of the reasons, we learned this in 1 John 4, 19, that um, we love because he first loved us. So it's not, it's not just we're pursuing wisdom. And yeah, you got to pursue wisdom, but wisdom's already pursuing you. God's already pursuing you. He's already chasing after you. That's fantastic news today. And he promises to pour out his heart to us. We look for him. So what do I do? Well, I think I begin here. Jesus is the word of God. This is the Bible. This is the scripture. It's available. If you don't have it here, you, you, you have it on your iPhone, you know. You, you know, we can get almost any question answered today. 
You know, back in, I've got three girls. I've got two teenagers, and then I've got one that's five. We have a pretty big gap. Back in the day, if Rachel and Mary Catherine, my two oldest, if they needed to know something, they'd come ask Dad. They'd just ask me, say, Dad, what do you think about this? You know, who was the third president? Or, you know, what are the, you know, who's the governor of such and such? And I may or may not know the answer. But now my five-year-old doesn't do that. When she wants to know something, she goes and finds this and brings it to me and asks me. Because she can't type yet. But she, she, as a, that's her picture. Even as a five-year-old, she understands that, man, we, we can find out stuff. Well, look, you know, you can use this besides just playing Flappy Bird. I mean, you can ask things about the Word of God. You know, you got to be careful. There's some fruitcakes out there. I don't know what they're talking about. But, you, you, you know, we can find out stuff. We can find out things about the Word of God, but nothing's going to ever replace opening up the Scriptures and reading it. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I know you've heard sermons like this before, but I'm just going to mention it real quick. Read your Bible. Read it. Read it. And you say, well, a lot of pastors always tell me that. Well, I'll make a deal with you. If you start doing it, we'll stop preaching it, okay? I mean, that's just the deal. We, you know, just read it. It's the wisdom of God. I mean, it's right there available to us. And he's waiting to pour out his heart unto us. Let's take advantage of it. Let's take advantage of it. All right. Verses 10 through 21. Love this section. Verse 10 says this. That we should choose there, her instruction, choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord, there's that fear again, is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me kings reign, and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern, and all nobles who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Second point out of verses 10 through 21 is this, the wisdom of God is lucrative and unmatched. The wisdom of God is lucrative, okay, and it's unmatched. So we already talked about this pursuing you. Well, this is good news. I mean, I told you the, the chapter 8 keeps getting better and better and better. It says that the wisdom of God is lucrative, okay, it's rich. I mean, it's for your own best interest, and it's unmatched. There's nothing else like wisdom, nothing else. So think about it. Wisdom is in your own best interests. That's okay to say that. It's okay to want that. It's okay to look out for your own best interests. Now, yet you got to be careful. But, but, but think about it. God's saying, I want you to have my wisdom because it's best for you. That's okay to say. That's good news. And it's lucrative. And it's unmatched. There's nothing else like it. It's profitable. Solomon, who wrote most Proverbs, says it this way, and I just read it, that, 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 that this wisdom beats rubies, and it's better than riches, it's better than all the treasuries, it's better than silver, and it's better than fine 
go. Now think about it. Now Solomon had all of this stuff. And he said, look, I can compare and contrast. And wisdom far exceeds anything else that I have. Wow. We need to hear that today. Let that truth sink in. And I like to say it this way, that God is just better. God's better. Anything you can imagine that you think you might want, God is better. God's better. I mean, he really, really is. And the people that have had experienced God and riches, like Solomon, hello, he says he's better. He's better. Now, one of the things Solomon did that he probably shouldn't have done is he got married a whole lot of times, you know. All the men in here. Think about having 700 wives, you know. You're, you're trying to keep track of one, okay. Solomon had 700 wives. You know what he says? Solomon says, listen, guys, you think that sounds good and everything. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is better than all of that. No matter what Solomon, he didn't deprive himself of anything that his heart and his eyes wanted. Read the book of Ecclesiastes, right? And he says, God's better. Wisdom is better. And then he makes that point by, by wisdom, king's rule and governor's rule and all that stuff. Look, God's wisdom is so much better. Now, don't confuse this with the prosperity gospel, okay? That's where, I don't know what channel it is in Columbia, you know, and, and some of the guys with blue hair and too much makeup, and they try to tell you to send them checks, you know, because the world's about to end or whatever it is. One day they're going to be right, but, you know, every week the world's going to end. Send them $5,000 so that they can send you 10 years' worth of food, whatever it is. The prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel's got it wrong. They teach you to love God so that you can have more money and you can have more fame and you can have more power. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel, okay? The prosperity gospel is like grape nuts. You remember that cereal, grape nuts? You know, there's no grapes, there's no nuts. Prosperity gospel, there's no prosperity and it's not the gospel, okay? That's just the truth. Here's where they get it wrong. The prosperity gospel says God will give you things in this life so that you may have joy. Some churches preach this. Prosperity gospel says God will give you things in your life so you may have joy. But the true gospel says God gave you Christ to be your joy for this life and the next. We have joy because we have Christ. We're in a relationship with God. We're in a relationship with the wisdom of God. And in that is our joy. It's not all the worldly stuff that's going to go away anyway. That's the gospel, and it's better. It's so much better. The wisdom of God's lucrative. It's unmatched. Well, there's one other section, verses 22 through 34. And I want to read these quickly. I, you'll love, just let these verses sink in to the end of the chapter. Verse 22 says, The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity. From the beginning, before the world began, when there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Wisdom of God. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side. 
I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in this whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my day, day, doors, waiting at my doorway. Whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. The final point in Proverbs chapter 8 about this wisdom of God is this. The wisdom of God is the divine designer. The wisdom of God is the divine designer. You see, this is eternal wisdom. This isn't just wisdom from a couple thousand years ago, and we read it, and yeah, that's nice and all. No, wisdom is the divine designer himself. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, just read all of it. Many times he says, I was there when he set the heavens in place. This is way before the Garden of Eden. I was there when he marked out the horizon. I was there when he established the clouds, when he gave the seas its boundaries, when he established the deep. This, the wisdom of God was there, the craftsman at his side. The divine designer himself is the wisdom of God. And I love the way that 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says it. And I want to read it because you're going to say, well, who is this wisdom of God? I mean, it sounds beautiful, Doug, and all that stuff. The wisdom of God is not a what, it's a who. The wisdom of God is not a what, it's a who. Verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the creation of the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God's not a what? The wisdom of God is a who. If you know Christ, you have the wisdom of God. If you know Christ, you have the wisdom of God. It's not just about trying to get your life dialed in. I mean, sure, there's practical wisdom. I said that already. And if you've been reading Proverbs through this series, then you've found that to be true. God will use it every day of your life. But it's better than that. Chapter 8 keeps getting better and better. Jesus Christ, he is our wisdom. Both the power and wisdom of God. That's why Village Church preaches Jesus Christ. That's why we're beckoning to this community. Come know Christ. That's why in this room today, if you're struggling in your life and you're not sure if you know Christ as your Savior, now's the time to gain the wisdom of God because the wisdom of God is found in Jesus Christ. He is the divine designer. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. It's great news. It's better than wisdom being lucrative. It's better that wisdom is plentiful. He's Jesus. And if you want wisdom today, you've got to be in a relationship with Jesus. And the stakes are high. The stakes are high. The very last verse of chapter uh, 8 in Proverbs says, Whoever fails to find me 
harms themselves. All who hate me love death. So think about what's at stake. I mean, this is important for every boy, girl, man, and woman in this congregation today. Do we know this manifold wisdom? And we know him only if we know Christ. We're in a relationship with Christ. So that's where we begin. You need wisdom? Do you know Christ? Now I know some of you in this room already have a relationship with Christ. But some of you do not. So here's the challenge. In just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I will take an offering and, and, and everything. There will be some people in the lobby there, and they have ribbons. They would love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, they would just love it. I would love to. Becky would love to. Any other staff would love to talk to you about a relationship with Christ. But here's the other thing. Maybe you already have a relationship with Christ, but you haven't been walking in wisdom. And now's the time for you to come home. Just like the prodigal son said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn my attention away from all this other stuff. And I, I want to embrace Christ. I want to embrace his wisdom. I need it. My family needs it. This church needs it. And that's your decision today. Some of you in a room this big, I, you need to be baptized. There's a, there's a decision you need to make to be baptized. You're going to join some of these other teenagers and boys and girls and other adults that are waiting to be baptized. Say, yep, I'm ready to jump in. I, I'm ready. Oh, 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 oh,